in a minute we'll be praying, and I want to remind everybody, we'll be talking directly to God, the God that created the world, that we can have access to him and talk to him directly. And we'll be investigating his word and his message for us this morning. So it's a particularly important message that, that we have this morning. It's, so it's sobering, it's very critical. So please be praying that the Holy Spirit may be present here this morning, uh, using my words to explain the word, touching your spirits, your hearts to understand the, the message, and that everything be for his glorification and our edification. Well, we are on the second Sunday of the Advent series of this year, and we are looking from the perspective of the, of the Old Testament. Last Sunday, you might remember, uh, Pastor Chris talked about the prophecy that Nathan presented, talking about that the Messiah would be king, he shall reign forevermore. We just sang uh, about that. And Pastor Chris mentioned that was a, a double prophecy with double fulfillment. There were things that happened pre immediately after the, the prophecy was made, actually through the birth and uh, the reign of Solomon. And then there was the complete fulfillment of that prophecy when Jesus uh, comes. The one that we'll cover today is very similar in that respect. And the title of today's message is, He Will Be God. So, before you plan to ask Sarah to add a topic to the members meeting this afternoon, the family meeting, saying we need to excommunicate Ed, his, his preaching heresy. How can he say he will be God? He should be saying he is God. And please, bear with me. I hope you'll understand. If you don't, 6.30 here, we already have an item in the agenda on how to address if you see the leaders doing something that is incorrect. So you're going to have your opportunity to, to bring that up. So please keep that in mind. Um, okay, we're going back to 700 years before Christ. If you know a bit about uh, Bible history, you know that Around that time, a few decades before that, the Assyrians took over the northern ten tribes of Israel. Israel had been divided after the death of Solomon. The northern ten tribes became Israel, and the southern two tribes became Judah. So at the point we're going to be reading this, the northern tribes have been conquered by the Assyrians. They have been dispersed. It's a mess north of Judah. So Isaiah is a prophet for the house of David, for Judah, for the southern uh, tribes. So keep that in mind uh, as we are looking at that. Before we go to the text that we're going to use today as our baseline, uh, I'd like to propose that we go one chapter prior to that. So please open your Bibles on Isaiah 6. Again, today's text is in Isaiah 7, but I want to make a quick stop on Isaiah 6 because that will put things in, into the right perspective for us to understand the rest. We're going to go through the first five verses. One of the very well-known uh, portions of the, the book of Isaiah, and 
it's phenomenal. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two they covered his, their, his face. With the other two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Awesome and terrifying experience that uh, Isaiah has there in this vision that he sees himself in the temple and he sees the presence of God. Listen, I had the opportunity yesterday to go to, to Cleveland for an event that was called Van Gogh, an immersive experience. Van Gogh, the painter, the Dutch painter, and they had this place, it's probably four times the size of this room with big walls, and they had about 50 projectors. Chris would freak out with 50 <laughs> projectors in one room. I mean, but, okay, they were projecting on the walls, on the floor, on ourselves. I mean, the paintings from uh, Van Gogh and Starry Night and the, the, the Sunflower and the other paintings that are known. And we were immersed in that, uh, and that was the idea of that experience. And as I was there, I was uh, thinking, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing this. These are projections on a wall. I say I was in the temple, seeing the presence of God. So I had a very, very small idea of how Isaiah might have felt seeing this there. So keep that in mind because I want to be repeating that awesome and terrifying presence of God that Isaiah experienced there. Now we go to chapter 7. And Years have passed since uh, chapter 6. Uzziah is not the king anymore. The king is now King Ahaz. Judah, the southern kingdom that we explained a few seconds ago, is un under a huge threat from a coalition of Syria and the northern tribes of Israel that now are called Israel. And there is an imminent attack on Judah. And if we would be reading every verse of that uh, chapter, we would see that the text says, the heart of King Ahaz and of his people shook as trees in the forest shake before the wind. These guys were scared. God sends Isaiah to talk to the king and to tell him not to fear. Well, King Ahaz doesn't seem fully convinced of that. So we'll see that now. So please, if you flip the page there to Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. That's our main passage for this morning. Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, 
Is it too little for you to weary man that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This is the word of the Lord. And again, if we would continue reading chapter 7, 8, there was protection that God provided to Judah against that attack. So there is a partial fulfillment of that prophecy right there in the next verses. But we all know very well that the complete fulfillment of this prophecy is when the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes. And it's not an assumption. It's right there in the very familiar verse of Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So literally, exactly the same words said by Isaiah to King Ahaz are now being said in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew clearly making the connection. So the prophecy from 700 years prior is now being, being fulfilled. So you imagine that situation that is Jesus is being born and it's being made clear this is God with us. I love the song, uh, Mary, Did You Know? And particularly two verses come to my mind. One when it, it says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? So that little boy that she was holding is God. Is God with us, Emmanuel. Or the other one that, that when uh, he says, when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's, that's really special. So obviously that's a very strong point there that Jesus is God, God with us. Freeze that thought a little bit. We'll come back to that. I want to explore a little bit the last portion of this sentence, God with us. The presence of God. I want to explore that a little bit because, wait a minute, isn't God omnipresent? Isn't he everywhere? So what are we talking about God's presence? He's everywhere. His presence is everywhere. Psalm 139 is beautiful psalm, if I take a clip of it, verses 7 through 12, reinforces that. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will co shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. God's presence is everywhere. I was listening to uh, the radio and Dr. Charles Stanley made a, a, a good statement. I, I love that sentence. Actually, when we say God's presence is everywhere, maybe a more proper sentence would be 
everywhere is in God's presence. <laughs> it's bigger. It's not that he is fitting on the other one. I mean, everything is fitting on him. I mean, he's bigger than everywhere. So I love that. But we're still dealing with this paradox of his presence. I mean, that is obviously the omnipresent presence of God. But there is also clear in the Bible that there is a second meaning to that, a relatable presence of God. When we feel his presence, when man can relate to, to God. I mean, if we go back, we just finished our series in Genesis 1 through 11. We talked about origins, we talked about the creation, and we read about that. I mean, the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. If we would continue going through Genesis, and uh, we would see that Abraham is called a friend of God. So obviously a relationship, a relatable uh, situation there. When God talks to Moses from the burning bush, I mean, obviously very obvious example of the, of the presence of God. Then if we continue, when the people leave Egypt and they are crossing the desert, there is this column of fire or the column of a cloud guiding them. That's obviously representing the presence of God. Actually, there is a dialogue between Moses and God when God says, well, you proceed, but I can't be with these people. And Moses said, if you don't come with us, we're not going. I cannot move without your presence with us. So obviously, there is this second meaning of the presence of God in this relatable manner. Actually, if we keep going, the, the vast majority of the examples that we will find will have a relation to the tabernacle or the temple as the place for God's dwelling. That's very clear. I mean, there, there are exceptional uh, examples associated with the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, we could keep going there, but keep this in mind. Primarily in the Old Testament, the presence of God, the dwelling of God among men is represented in the temple, uh, ultimately. So, actually the text that I read in my introduction, in Isaiah, seeing the presence of God, he is, his vision is in the temple. Okay, so that is very strong there. In the Old Testament, the presence of God is primarily associated with the temple. Okay. Part three of our discussion this point. Now, let's talk about Emmanuel. I mean, we talked about this relationship, this presence. First of all, it's an unthinkable concept, particularly from a Jew. I mean, remember, the Jews would not even pronounce the name of Yahweh. Right? I mean, they, they, had the, they wrote with the consonants only, so it was not possible to pronounce because it was such a separation that they saw between them and, and, and God. So imagine for those people to assimilate the idea that now God will be with us. This baby that's being born is the Messiah. He's going to be living, dwelling among men. So it's an un unbelievable concept. Last Sunday I was talking to Sam at the cafe there and we were saying, man, can you imagine? You could be walking with him, talking with uh, Jesus, touching him, fishing with him, sitting, eating some fish by the, by the beach there in the Sea of Galilee. And Sam said, I think I would invite him to have a cup of coffee. I mean, 
at your house, obviously. Uh, so uh, imagine that. I mean, suddenly God is dwelling among men. It's an unthinkable uh, concept, and it's huge. So I would imagine that when people understood that, it was that awesome and terrifying feeling like Isaiah had. I mean, I touched on that uh, last time I was preaching here. When Jesus calms the storm, it says that the disciples were terrified. They understood they were at the presence of God. So imagine that. Now, if you're still saying, well, but what is this thing about God being among us? Let's go through some verses that verify and confirm that. First, uh, when we went through the study in Philippians, we touched that on verse 2. Uh, verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, Paul says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So if you read that whole chapter, you will see the description of Christ leaving the presence of God, leaving his glory behind to live among us. Still 100% God, still perfectly God, living as man among us. Or if we go to the book of John. I mean, the first chapter of John is so rich that I could read it a million times and be learning uh, something. John 1.1, when John is introducing Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, we have been doing our beginning series, our origin series. So it's stating here that in the beginning, Remember, in the beginning, God created. Okay, so Jesus was there. And by the way, we read that, that verse, and it's registered in the Bible, uh, God saying in Genesis 1.26, let us make God in our image after our likeness. There's a plural being used here because it's Jesus, it's the Father, it's the Holy Spirit together in that creative process. So this is the person that was here um, living among us. By the way, in that same verse that I read from John, he was with God and he was God. I said, oh my gosh, he before said he will be God, now he's saying he was God. Well, that's John saying, okay, that's not me, I'm just reading it. And imagine that, he was with God and he's God. So, I mean, we could detour here for a whole discussion about the Trinity and how can be somebody with God and be God. It's, it's a mystery, it's a complex uh, thing there, but it's clear that we are talking about the Son of God, we are talking about God himself living here. John, if we continue in that same chapter, uh, verse 10, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Again, he was here living among men, walking around, talking to people, but he is the same one that was present in creation that uh, in the beginning of time. And verse 14, and the, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, I said that uh, in the Old Testament, very many pastors talk about the temple being the dwelling place of God. Well, now when Jesus is here, he is God dwelling among men. Okay, so there is a, a, a difference there. And Jesus himself confirms. If somebody would say, well, other writers said that Jesus was God. He didn't. Well, I love this one. John 8, 58. 
truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus speaking, before Abraham was, I am. Woo! That's good. Remember when Seth was preaching, he said, Abraham was born, probably Seth was still alive, not him, the, <laughs> the original one. Uh, uh, and so this is way back then. It's uh, the time of the flood. And Jesus saying, I have been around. I've been there. I, the, actually, the Jews tried to stone him for that statement because they understood what he was saying there. When uh, then a couple chapters later, uh, John 16, 28, I came from the Father and I have, and I have come into the world. Again, he's clearly saying the same thing that Paul said in Philippians. He was with God. He left heavens to be here. And we could keep going. There are many more verses uh, that express of Jesus being God. And also there are evidence of that uh, besides the, the verse. Now, can't we be just amazed on God's cosmic plan? God ordained Jesus to come here as a man, live a perfect life, die for our sins, resurrect on the third day. This is the gospel. This is what gives us the hope of a relationship with God. He wants to relate to us. He wants to have this relatable uh, situation. That's why he went through, through that. I'll, I'll take another passage here. Probably this is going to be the sermon that has more reference to different Bible verses. Luke 4, 16 through 20, for those that good to, like to take notes. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, like the Rims read this morning. He, Jesus did that in the synagogue. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave back to attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that if today before the passing of the peace, if Chris would have said, okay, after the passing of the peace, we have a special guest this morning. Jesus is going to be here opening the, the scriptures and speaking to us this morning. How cool would that be? That's what they had there in, in Nazareth when he, was, when he, uh, he went there and to, to speak. By the way, when it says he sat down, that's how they would, uh, the masters would speak. He, he read and then he sat down in front of the synagogue and he said, you heard what Isaiah said? It's fulfilled. So obviously he was saying, I am the Messiah that had been promised by God. So Old Testament, presence of God, primarily in the temple. New Testament, Jesus Christ dwelling with man, the presence of God. And by the way, he makes a connection with the temple again. 
if you remember, uh, when Jesus is talking to the, to the Pharisees there in John 2, 19 through 21, he says, Jesus answered to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Okay, so Jesus presents himself as the temple of God dwelling among men. So you see the, the connection, the, the relation there. God with us, Emmanuel. Awesome and terrifying. Well, part four. What about now? Well, Jesus is gone, right? He's not living among us. You cannot take him to sure house, Sam, sorry. Uh, but God's plan continued after that. Actually, Jesus said, John 16, 4 through 7, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So, Jesus is obviously here talking about the Holy Spirit. So he is saying, okay, when I leave, when I go back to the Father, you're not going to be abandoned. God will still be with you. Actually, God will be in you. If you understand this message, if you are in a relationship with God, yes, Jesus doesn't live here anymore, so we don't have the God with us in that respect, but we have God in us as the Holy Spirit of God. And this is a big thing. I mean, the same way that the, the Jews had Jesus Christ sitting on that synagogue, and they were kind of somewhat ignoring or not understanding him, we cannot do the same. We have the Holy Spirit. It's God. It's God in us. In uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He's again making the, the analogy with the temple again as the dwelling place of God. And now he's saying, the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is big. This is awesome and terrifying. We can't take that lightly. I mean, this is, this is major. Still in 1 Corinthians, if we go to chapter 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So if we have been bought by the cost of Jesus Christ's death in the cross, we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's phenomenal. Then Paul expands that concept to the church as a, as a group in Ephesians 2, 19, 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in him. You're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So not only us individually having the Holy Spirit in us, but us as a church are a building being built constantly with the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, among us. So Old Testament, temple is the main dwelling place of God. New Testament, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus present as a man, living among us, dwelling among us. After he leaves, the Holy Spirit is inhabiting our temple as our persons and our church. So, I see that again as awesome and terrifying. So, Son of God came as a man to dwell among us. That's obviously the main point because we are in the Advent series. We are being reminded of all that to completely relate with us. Right? He was a man. He lived. He went through the things that you and I go in life. And obviously, he died for us. So, whatever trials or challenges you may be going through right now, you can't leave these concepts. Jesus Christ came for us. God with us, Emmanuel. And we still have the Holy Spirit with us. Hebrews 13.8 states, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So yes, he will be God. He is God. He was God. It's all, it's all right. It's all together. Okay? He will be God. He was God. He is God. He is. I don't even need to complete that sentence, right? It's the I am. He is. So this morning, I'm not going to conclude the sermon with something specific that you should consider this afternoon or tomorrow as you start your, your week because I hope that you understand this awesome and terrifying presence of God among us with all the great things that we have in this relationship and all the respect and the fear and the awe that we present to him. It's a relational presence that we have with the, with the Lord. So I think we should be ready to glorify his name with our life in every moment. I mean, what else can we, how else can we react to, to all this? So is with us, in us, for us. Let's pray and we'll go back to worshiping. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can find your, your plan as we go through the, the pages of your word and we can understand the fantastic plan that you have created to develop this relationship with you, Lord. We want to glorify your name. We want to look at you in awe and fear and understand that we can relate, we can talk to the God that created the world. Thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word and go through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.